Well, I'm excited to be sharing today. I, <laughs> I think it's actually ironic whenever I preach because it's always something that God has for me. So when I'm preaching, don't think I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself, and I just happen, you happen to be in the room while I'm doing it. So, <laughs> And I think it's ironic, too, that some of you might know that we got a puppy last week. And I'm preaching about relinquishing control to God. So I feel like it's so timely that we got a puppy because I have been pushing against that for years. You can ask my kids. Since they were born, they've been asking for a dog. And I'm overextended in the area of poop when they were that little. I just couldn't handle any more poop. And so I was like, I'm not getting a dog. And so I think it's really funny that I decided to get my license on a Friday and then get a puppy on a Sunday and then be preaching next Sunday. Like, I did not have a very restful week, just in case you were wondering. But I do think that that getting a dog, one of the things I was actually celebrating with my family before we got a dog, was that it was a practice for me to relinquish control in my house. Because I like the parameters, right? I like it clean. I don't like dog hair. I was vacuuming up a storm yesterday. Like, every time that thing poops, we are on it. Like, I'm not leaving it out there. Like, I have some strict parameters. But I'm recognizing, and this happened with all of my kids and me, actually we all cried this week for one reason or another about the puppy except for Aaron. So I'm recognizing that Dostoyevsky's quote about love and action is harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams. That's actually really, really true. So one of the things that I think is really important and that I actually asked God what he wanted me to talk about, and he told me control. And I was like, oh, great. And he was like, the control in you. And I'm like, oh, great. That's so awesome. So you can tell that I don't really like it. And actually, I was like, but if I tell them I have a problem with control, they're going to use it to control me. And hence why I still need to talk about it. So try not to use it against me if you can help it. But if you do, it's okay. Thank you. So God is after control in our lives, and he's after the why that we do it and the tendencies that we have. And he definitely does work for the good of those who love him. We've heard that, right? But he gets to define what that work is, and he, can, he gets to define what the good is. So as we partner with him, we are more than conquerors over our circumstances. And that means we're more than conquerors over our control tendencies. And the reason this happens is because his love never leaves us. And so I'm going to be talking about that in Romans. That probably sounded pretty familiar to you in Romans 8. And I'm actually going to be in the New Living Translation. I just feel like it's a little more applicable for, for and there's a lot in this section. I'm going to be talking um, through 8, 28, and then up through 39. So I'm not going to cover everything this has. So if you feel like I missed something, I didn't do it intentionally. It's just we're mostly talking about relinquishing control. So I'm going to read verse 828 because I think it gives us a good place to start. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we really love that verse, don't we? Because it really tells us that there's purpose in our suffering, that God isn't doing things futilely, that he's working something out. And I think it's interesting, though, that you know how there's nice little headings in our Bible? Those weren't there when it was written. When Paul was writing a letter, he didn't put headings, just like you don't when you write someone an email. This isn't how it was. So if we go up two verses, it really gets to what God is doing 
And I think it's important that we don't skip over those. So if we go up to verse 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we do not know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So when we're talking about the ways that we want control, we need to recognize that God already knows our weaknesses, and that is why he's going to work things out for our good. That he already knows what they are, and he already knows what's in our minds and what's in our hearts and what needs to be addressed. And he's going to tell us what we need to pray for. That word groanings can mean that we pray in the spirit in groanings, but I think a more um, fuller picture of that is really just that we don't know. We don't always know what we need to pray for, and we don't want to know sometimes. Sometimes we want to be really avoiding of what it is that God is working in us, right? Because it's a lot more fun to just pretend. It's easier. And so I think we need to recognize that he knows what our weaknesses are. He's searching in our hearts and mind always, and he knows the conditions of our heart. And his spirit helps to align our wills with God's. It says harmony. Harmony with God's own will, and that is what God is wanting. He's not wanting this tug of war. That's not his intentions for you. It's not his intentions for me. And we know how it feels when we're trying to control all these variables and how fun it is when it doesn't really work out. And that just needs to another layer of control, another layer of anger. And so I obviously don't have, like, the corner on this. I haven't really figured it all out yet. And I like to control, so I'm just going to admit that openly. And I think that... One of the ways that I've seen that play out in my life really well is in the beginning times of our marriage. And I got permission to talk about this, so I think vulnerability is how I like to lead. I think we should all lead that way. And so one of the things that happened early on in our relationship is Aaron had a friendship with a couple of people, and they were a high priority in his life. And I knew that, dating him, and I could see that. I didn't love it, right? I was like this new bride and I had these ideas of how my marriage was going to look. So we dated for four years and there was a lot of conflict around those marriage, those relationships that he had because I could see he was choosing those things over me. I didn't like that. And I have a really high value for safety, right? And so I like the knight in shining armor. I mean, I have armor of my own and various weapons, but... <laughs> I do want to be rescued, right? I think we all do on some level. And so... What ended up happening is I just sort of placated this idea. And then, you know, we had a lovely honeymoon, but we fought a lot on our honeymoon because I was like, okay, I have the ring. It's over. Now you need to get rid of these people. And here I am. Ta-da. And it didn't work out that way, shockingly enough. Actually, for 10 years, these people were still in our lives. I was making Aaron pay every time he would see them. I was being shut off every time I had to be around them. And I could see that it was unhealthy, and it was. It was dysfunctional the way it was set up, and I didn't like it, and I struggled with it for a long time. And right about the time that I started letting go of that, God revealed what was going on to Aaron in a way that I never could. But I was trying to control him that whole time into choosing me over them. And so it played out well, right? And then about a year after, they have moved out of our life since then, and about a year after that, we were just talking about it and processing it. And Aaron was said to me, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, he'd apologize. We'd work that, that kind of stuff out. And then he said, what did you have to do with this? And I was like, I am blameless. 
I had nothing to do with it. I was the victim in this situation. Are you kidding me? And that's what I wanted to say. And I actually had this full throttle urge to get up and just walk out of the room. Like, I wanted to just leave. Why? Because God was revealing something in me. He was addressing the weaknesses in me of control. And that area was, I could have said to Aaron early on, gosh, I really like you, and I really want to marry you, but this thing you've got going on, I'm out until you get it figured out. I could have said that. I could have honored myself. I could have honored Aaron, and I just could have pulled back. But man, I wanted to be married. Dang it, right? And so I just was like, well, I'll just do the thing, and then you'll give me the ring, and that will solve all the problems. And it was a 10-year problem, and God was working it out. So the work that he's doing is good work, and it's for our good, and it's not as comfortable as we think it's going to. So I just wanted to share that story with you because it was a long, ongoing thing. And, you know, my husband has done a great job of choosing me. And we've really both come full circle where he gets to be him and I get to be me. And that works out like 85% of the time. So we're making strides. I think one of the things that we recognize, too, is that when we are relinquishing control, we want to know what the trade is, right? Like, I want to know what I'm going to get, God, if I give this to you. Like, what's the stuff, right? It's hard to let go of our agendas and what we want. And so I think what we need to recognize is that we has a lot more to give us than we're trading for. What we're trading for is like those trashy candy wrappers that are shiny and we think they're treasure. They're actually trash. And God wants to take those away from us, and he wants to give us so many other things. So I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to read verse 28 again, and then I'm going to go read through verse 30, and I think it will give us a good picture of what he's giving us. So, in 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who God, sorry, who love God and are according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are the brothers and sisters, so am I. And having chosen them, he called them to him, called them to come to him, excuse me. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So there's kind of a lot in there, but I would, I would say that what I feel like God is saying right here is he's giving us his identity. And the identity that we think we get from controlling all the variables is kind of a joke, actually. So I just want to break that down in, a few, in like a little more basic terms. But basically, he knew us before we made our choice to relinquish control. That means he loved you before you thought you were all clean and shiny and perfect. Because you're never going to be, and he still chose you before that. And he knew that you weren't going to trade your ways for his ways right away. And he still loves you. And we are his heirs. That means we're sons and daughters. Jesus went before us. He was sanctified. And his blood covers all of us so that we get to be in God's kingdom. We get to be heirs with Jesus. And I think that's so important because it means we're adoptive out of maybe a dysfunctional family into something that's way more healthy. And he, cho- he has chosen us and he's pursued us. He comes near us. My favorite name for Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. That means so much to me that he wants to be right near me even when I'm failing, even when I'm trying to control him and think that I'm God and give myself a little crown and think that I'm really doing great. He still is asking me to come out of that and pursue me and he's still with me in that. 
and he gives us his glory, his honor, his praise, his majesty, and his holiness. That basically just means that our full potential without sin will be realized in heaven, and the likeness that we've been trying to pursue will be revealed in him in heaven. And so there's hope in that. And basically, that's what we're after. We're getting sanctified one degree at a time, right? We want to be like Jesus, but it's not a quick process. And so when we're relinquishing control to him, it's degrees, degrees, degrees. And we're getting closer to that point at the end when we get to join him in heaven. And so what are we trading? I'm going to be broad here because I think you need to answer that for yourself. But when I don't get what I want, I get really angry. And then I usually am like kind of sad about it. Like I'm kind of grieving the loss of me, right? My little kingdom isn't working, and I don't really like that, and it's really sad. But it could be a false identity that you are giving up control over, or fear of the future. That's a big one for me. You're reactive about things. That's another one. That's another way we control. We like to be perceived as right or valuable in a certain way. I really value safety, so I'm going to try to control all the variables for safety. I'm going to confess that one of the reasons I wanted a dog is because I wanted someone to run and hike with me, but that puppy is not there yet, and it's very disappointing. But, and it, it's not a good reason to get a puppy. <laughs> but, and it's, it's not a good reason, but I really value safety, so I will put on all that armor, and I will protect myself to control the variables. And we're just not God. We're not. And those, that great list of things we cannot do for ourselves. You can't save yourself. I'm sorry if you thought you could. I sometimes still think I can, but it's over. It's been done. It's on the cross. You have victory over your death and your sin. And we don't have to keep playing around believing that we're God. And one of the things that I think is really practical to do is just to remind, I try to remind God that he's God to remind myself that he's God. Like, you did this. You're God. Take care of it. And it's kind of like bossy, but what I'm really saying is the thing that I'm dealing with isn't really mine. It's yours, and I'm just going to confess that to you and give it over. So we can't provide identity for ourselves because we know when we put on all those false pretenses, that false persona, we're still trying to control the parameters. He provides our identity for us, and, he, and that is something I just talked about in the previous verses. And the things that he does for us aren't to control us. That's why we're so hesitant to want to go in and enter into God's kingdom, I think it's because we don't like to be controlled ourselves. And if his rules are not our rules, then we say, that is control and I am out. But his love is what's underneath that. That's why he's doing that. His motive is the purest of them all, believe it or not, more than yours or mine. It's because he loves us. And I think that's important to remember that he isn't out to get us. He's not out to make us into something. He is not out to make little robots. He's very, very okay with you making messes. He doesn't mind. And he's going to let you try to control him, and he's going to probably laugh later. But. Um, and the other thing that I think we need to recognize, too, is this, this section of verses in Romans was always confusing to me because of the way it's spread out, and it's talking about we're more than conquerors. And I, I want that to be really linear, like we are more than conquerors, and you kind of have to go back and look in that to figure out what he's talking about. But... In verses 35 through 36, he gives that whole list. And I think that is what, what we're looking for, right? We're looking to be conquerors over all of these things. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute 
or in danger or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Despite all these things. We, we forget that word because we think that when we're entering into Christ that sometimes the path is going to be flat and straight and easy and it's not always the case. It's despite the circumstances that you can't control, you still are victorious over the larger scheme of sin and shame in your life. And over the control that you think that you have, you're victorious over that too. He's going to get that part off of you. He's going to trim it off. And so one of the things that I think we look over is that despite piece. And one of the things that I've recognized too is that controlling our circumstances or accepting them doesn't change the character of God, but it changes our character when we surrender to him. You still won't be God even when you surrender, and we've tried for a long time to be God. I think you might remember a little Adam and Eve story there. That was the goal. They wanted control, and he is very familiar with that type of sin in our lives, and he's really not going to allow it if you're following him. And he's still for us, and he's still with us. Even when we're feeling uncomfortable, displaced, we're opening up our hands to let him take out that trash, that shiny candy bar, it's not gold. And he's looking to replace it with a much stronger identity. And so one of the stories that I really love, just to kind of drive this home and get it away from me, is the story of Joan of Arc. And I think you probably are all vaguely familiar with that. But Joan of Arc was born in the beginning of the 14th century, and she was born right kind of towards the end of the Hundred Year War when England was trying to take over France. And they'd occupied a lot of that by the time she was born. And she was just a farmer's daughter, born in a small town in France, illiterate, actually. Any beliefs that she knew, she inherited from her mother's deep Catholic beliefs. And so when she turned 13, she started hearing messages from God telling her that she was going to be the one to make sure that the rightful heir of the crown, Prince Charles, was going to be crowned, and this coronation was going to be up to her to make happen. She's a 13-year-old illiterate farmer's girl. Like, it sounds a little crazy. But what ends up happening is she just follows this path, and she goes on it, and when she's 16, her dad's like, you know what? You're a little too much. I'm going to get you married. But she had sworn that she was going to remain abstinent so that she could follow the path that God had for her. And she actually took her dad to the local court, and they sided with her and said, no, it's valid what she's fighting for. You don't, she's not going to get married. You can't make her get married. I mean, that is like out of this world amazing in that day and age. Like, you were not going to push on your dad. You were going to get married to whoever you said. You had no rights then as a woman, none. And she just bulldozed right over. I think it's awesome. Anyways. So after that, she's kept hearing visions, and she realized that she needed an army behind her in order to fulfill what God was calling her to do. So she cut her hair, she wore men's clothing, and she found a way to get an audience with Prince Charles. And a little-known fact about that is that she actually met him privately, and, and he said later what she knew only God could have told her. There was no way she knew the things that she knew. So he gives this 16-year-old girl an army— and you know what? She 
was actually, they say without her, that France probably wouldn't have succeeded in regaining its sovereignty over its own country. That she was strategic, she had influence, and here's what you need to know. She never carried a sword. She had armor, she had a horse, and what she carried was the flag that represented her king and her kingdom. That's what he wants for us. We are more than conquerors, and so was she, but she didn't have a weapon. And that means that our best defense and our best weapon against what we're trying to control is Jesus and his love for us. And I think that that is something that we also need to think about when we are watching other people control us. We can apply this really easily to people that are outside, and I think it helps us to understand that there might be reasons, really good reasons, why people are trying to control us. It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries, of course, that's another sermon, but it's important that we recognize that so we can have grace for others as well. So unfortunately, Joan of Arc was captured right after, about a year after she had successfully gone behind enemy lines with Prince Charles, had him crowned as king of France. She, about a year later, she went into another battle. She fell off her horse. She was captured. She was in a military prison for a year. And where was her king? He didn't say a word. He didn't try to do anything to get her out. He didn't try to make any sort of swap for her. He just never, he never negotiated any type of, of release or terms. He, she was charged with over 70 different accounts of wearing men's clothing was a really big deal back then. They really, really didn't like it. But also witchcraft and heresy because she knew the things that she knew and they just thought she was crazy. And he never tried to get her out. So after a year of being in prison, she couldn't take it anymore. She just signed a written confession saying that she had done all the things. And they gave her some more freedoms and liberty, even though she was still in there. But she went back to wearing men's clothes. And actually, the reason that they think that she did this was because she was under, she was guarded a lot, and she was trying to avoid getting molested. And she thought if she dressed like a man, she would have a better chance of that not happening to her. As soon as they found that out, they were like, well, all bets are off. And at 19, so young, they burned her at the stake. It wasn't until 20 years later that King Charles decided to hold his own investigation and a separate trial, even though she'd already died as a martyr, and found her innocent of all charges. And then she wasn't actually canonized as a saint until 1920. That's a long victory to wait for. But I think it gives us such a clear picture of what she was standing for, what her aim was, what her drive was, and that what was happening was something that God was fighting, and it wasn't her battle. And she relinquished control right and left. I mean, as a woman, it is miraculous that she did that. So having that story in hand and just some of your own, oh, there goes the rest of my notes. I think that we can apply some of these things pretty well. And even though I know it's uncomfortable, I think we spend a lot of our lives pretending that we don't know things about ourselves that we really do know. So I would challenge to ask yourself, what am I pretending not to know in the area of control in my life? Where are there things where I am pushing my agenda when God is asking me to slow my roll? And if you don't know, like Aaron said, just ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask someone you trust and that is close to you because I guarantee you, make sure you're not fighting when you do it, because it's never going to come out right. 
but make sure that you get someone that loves you and that's honest with you to say, yeah, you have some control. And God is inviting us in, and I think we need to also practice accepting his invitation. We want to hold them at arm's length when we're not getting our way. That is what I do all the time. When I am mad that we have a puppy that's waking me up at 3 in the morning, I'm like, I don't really want to look inward. What's going on? But the truth is there's always something going on. He's always working, and it's usually in our discomfort. And so he's inviting you into a safe place to give up your control. He is safe, and he is for you, and he loves you, and he's with you, and he really wants to make sure that you're free from this. I also think that we need to talk. I'm sorry for those people that don't like to talk, but I think you need to talk about what's going on internally. It is important that we get those things out into safe places. That's exactly why we have small groups, is so that you can have a supportive community that says, this is safe, we hear what you're saying, and so that they can celebrate with you when you do overcome those points in your life that you have control, that you're releasing to God. You need a place to have encouragement, and you need to talk about it. I'm sorry, you need to talk about it. It's very important. And if you feel like you don't know the words, just come to my house and there'll be words galore, galore. And I didn't put this up there, but I do think that part of it is just reminding yourself that God is in this. When I have to preach, I'm anxious, right? And the first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, and I open my eyes and I said, if you want me to keep preaching, you worry about it. I don't want to. And then I feel great. And I think that that is the process I have to do and that we all have to do over and over. He is God. He is in control. And we need to say, we're just gonna, I'm just going to give this over to you. I'm not going to roll it around in my brain anymore. It's yours and surrender that. And we may have to do that 500 times in the day. I get that. But it's just practicing that he is with us and that he is for us and that that is the work, the good work that he's actually trying to do in our lives. And so I know we, we love just saying that mantra about God working all things together for the good of those he loves, and that's true. But the work that he's doing in us is work. It requires some labor. It requires some action, and it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while. But the good things that we trade it for are priceless, and we can't do these things on our own. And I invite you all to just look inward a little bit and to think about the areas in your life where you're just tight-fistedly grasping onto. Because he loves us like this, and that's how we can love each other and him too, open-handed. So thank you guys. It was fun to be up here. I thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the sunny day. I'll pray and then you guys can be dismissed. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are after the areas in my heart that need refining, that you are looking to show me what your way looks like and that my way doesn't work. I pray that you would help us to all recognize who you are, that you are on the throne, you are king, and that we can go into the battles of this life waving your flag, not ours. You are our weapon. You are our defense. You are our love. You are our provider. And we don't need to control all these variables when you've got this. You have the victory, Lord. And you have made us conquerors. And I am so grateful that you are fighting my battles for me, that you are pursuing me, and that you are loving me in ways that I could never love myself. So I pray that you would just help us to continually seek your presence and your truth in our lives this week and help us to be gently reminded by your Holy Spirit of the areas in our life that are strongholds that we need to give up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.